0: Hi, I'm Shelly and I'm Nicole and you're listening to the baby pro podcast where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expecting and new parents want to know such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hi there, Shelly. How are you? I I'm doing good, except for in six days, Sasha is taking her test to get her driver's license. So is Grace in six days. No way. Hey. Sunday. Come on. I know. Like, are you
1: not terrified? No. She's my fifth kid. Hurry it on up. Let's go. <laughs> I'm done driving.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, oh, my gosh. What time is her exam? Oh, my gosh. I don't know because done handles all that
1: yeah grace is at nine in the morning oh my gosh
0: I think hers is like in the middle of the day
1: hilarious grace is at nine that's so funny
0: I'm I think I'm more like Hans got his last year and he already he came home like a few weeks ago with his car like bumpers are gone completely covered in mud because he I don't know the spinning circles in the woods or something. But you know what the best part is? He bought oh. his own car. So I don't, that's his problem. No one was. Yes, so ma'am. That's his problem. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Sasha, I think though, I did, I've done a lot of driving with her and she's pretty good. So I'm not so nervous with her, but next up is Brooke and Brooke is a good driver. If anything, overly cautious, but so nervous at the wheel. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit anxious about her.
1: Yeah, she'll get there.
0: Yeah, I hope so.
1: Yeah, well, a little nervous isn't terrible.
0: Well, I can I can call you if I need you to hold my hand
1: <laughs> since you're like <laughs> send her to the grocery store as often as possible. She will get lots of practice. Mm, good point. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, this week we are speaking with Heidi Aronson. She is a dentist who. Um, from new generation dental care and she specializes in releasing oral restrictions. So she's going to talk a lot about um, tongue lip ties. Great. Good. But first let's do our favorite of the week. Excellent. You go first.
1: All right. So I order a lot of clothes off of this website and you know me, so this isn't going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's called three bird nest. And I love their stuff. A lot of bohemian stuff, kind of, you know, me. And lots of flowy Caminos and um, just beautiful things that you're not going to find everywhere. Their prices are average, not super expensive, not super low, but their quality is outstanding. Everything ships really fast. Their customer service is unbelievable and I love their style. So I I do have fun with them. And I will say that almost every time I wear something off of that website, I get a compliment from someone and I'm like it's almost like comical. My neighbors like, "Oh, I love that." And she'll say again, is it three bird nest again i'm like yes like you have to look at their stuff so check them out cute stuff
0: oh boho clothing
1: yeah they have
0: these really cute um poncho and pants pairs see. Mm-hmm. oh these look super comfortable They
1: everything oh, this is the
0: cutest sweater
1: they have a lot of like raw edge um raw edge bottomed like the hem of pants like so you can Mm -hmm. cut them to length and i'm only five feet so that works really well for me (laughs) um just the quality is really wonderful i have to be honest it's excellent stuff
0: it's not that it's another brand
1: but with christmas stuff it's been on my mind like i'm looking at a lot of stuff i love this sweater
0: here for 16 it's not that expensive
1: and they'll have like, um they'll have like favorite of the week or not favorite of the week or deal of the week. We, mm-hmm. we do favorite of the week, deal of the week on Mondays where you can get like an outfit for a certain price and mm-hmm. they have beautiful things. The quality is just outstanding.
0: Very cool. Yeah. How about yours? Mine is Jordan's skinny syrups. Have you oh, heard of that? No. So I have insulin resistance, so I'm not, I'm not keto. Um, but I'm like lower carb. Mm -hmm. So, but I follow a lot of keto accounts on social media because if if it's something that they're saying is okay to eat for keto, I know it's guaranteed to be okay for me. And one of the accounts was raving about these skinny syrups cuz they have no carbs and no sugar and you can buy them at TJ Maxx your favorite store. Nicole, it <laughs> is. Yes. And I actually found them in you know when you're ch- waiting in line to check out and they put all those like teaser yes. products. Yeah, so Especially I actually TJ found Max. them there. Yes. <laughs> and they were only 3.99 per bottle. So nice. super inexpensive. And um I bought vanilla and salted caramel. Uh-huh. Caramel, whatever you want to say. and so far I've only tried the vanilla when I put it says um on the bottle to add like half of a to add a tablespoon to your coffee or whatever I am not a sweet person like minimum sweet is good for me I like just a hint of the vanilla flavor so I only added No, I'm sorry the direction said to add a tablespoon I only added a teaspoon and that was like more than enough it wasn't too sweet it was very tasty And it's Mm -hmm. something that I can put in my drink and not worry about it affecting, like, my insulin resistance, which is That's
1: really good to know. I'll have to check it out.
0: Yeah, and they have, um, I saw also, like, I only bought two flavors, but I also saw that they had, like, a pumpkin flavor syrup and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you can make fancy coffees in your home without having to drop money on them, although I will never stop going to Starbucks. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Good for you. Good. (laughs) Um, So we will link to both of those in the show notes. And next up is our question of the week. Great. So this question was also submitted through Instagram. And the question is, I am five months postpartum. My milk supply just dropped and my hair is falling out. Do you think they're related? (laughs) So there's like regular postpartum hair loss, which is super fun but if you are experiencing hair loss and a dip in milk supply at the same time, I would just be concerned about your thyroid. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because if you were, you know, birth is an extremely hormonal event. right? And it puts a lot of parents into hypothyroidism, which can cause hair loss and low milk supply. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times in the postpartum period, It's missed. Hypothyroidism is missed because the symptoms are very similar to just having a baby, right? I'm tired all the time. My hair is falling out. Well, yeah, I'm having trouble losing weight. Well, yeah, you just had a baby. You're fine. Do you know what I mean? Right. Right. If you know, if you're experiencing both these symptoms together at the same time, it might not be a coincidence. And I would definitely ask your Your PCP to run a full thyroid panel. Do not settle for just TSH or T4. Ask for a full thyroid panel. And also keep in mind that the appropriate levels um, are different when you're breastfeeding. So if they come back and say, oh, everything looks within the normal limits, ask for the specific number so you can find the lactation consulting to cross reference them for you.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That was a great question. I see that so much. Right. Yep. All right. And next up, we will be talking with Heidi. Very good. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby. And that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information. And also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a Starting Solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. This week, I'm so excited to announce our guest, Dr. Heidi Aronson. She's a dentist and a member of the international affiliation of Tongue Tie Professionals, and she has been named one of Boston's top 10 dentists since the year 2018. Welcome, Heidi. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so I'm actually a general
2: dentist. I'm in practice with my dad who had uh, started to practice in the early seventies. Um, so he and I practice together. My mom is actually the office manager. So a lot of people are always uh, surprised when they, they found out that my mom's at but the front desk a lot. Um, and so we're a small practice. Uh, I have two kids. I live in Natick. Um, and I just love the variety of, of, you know, seeing babies, seeing, you know old people and everything in between your practice is like
0: truly a family practice
2: It's very much I see a lot of babies for tongue ties and then the parents come back the next week to have theirs evaluated
0: oh wow so, yep
2: some people say from the womb to the tomb mm-hmm. that's awesome
0: <laughs> yeah um how did you get into doing releases for like tongue and lip ties So one of my
2: patients is an IBCLC, and
0: for probably
2: three, four years, she kept kind of hinting, you know, you really need to do this. There's a few dentists that are doing it that I work with, and I think it would be great for you. You have young kids. And I kept kind of putting it off. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I wanted to do it. And I finally bit the bullet about five years ago, and I took a course um, back at Tufts where I went to dental school, and I'm sitting in Marty Kaplan's course and he's going over tongue ties, and and how they affect breastfeeding, and how they affect bottle feeding, and latching, and and he's going down the list of all these symptoms, and I was sitting there with my jaw just dropped, because my kids Mm. had every single one of those symptoms, and we struggled, and up until that point, you know, I had never been diagnosed, Um, and everything just kind of clicked for me, and I realized it wasn't just, you know, something I could do to help the the moms feed their babies but it had like long-lasting effects on my own kit Um, because at that point my daughter who was about four at the time she had just had her tonsils and adenoids removed uh, a couple months prior and I didn't realize that was all linked to her inability to breathe through her nose to her tongue tie Um, so it really brought it closer to home for me having experienced it you know, nursing a tied baby, um, remembering, you know, the t- curling pain where you just grit your teeth and you know, mm-hmm. that pain will get better in about 10 seconds, this will be better. Um, and just knowing the effect that that had on my enjoyment of the experience with breastfeeding. Um, so once that kind of light went off in my head, it made me really realize how critical it was to be able to provide the same thing for, for other people.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think there's so much that we're still learning about how it can impact someone's life, like for the rest of their life. It's not just like a breastfeeding issue. It's right. I mean, even in the
2: last five years, the research has just exploded. You know, if you, right. every course you go to, it's all, it's the latest research. And a lot of these, you know, the ultrasounds that we see are just, you know, only two, three, four years old. And it's, I think it's something that people kind of knew for a while that something wasn't quite right, but we just didn't have the diagnosis. We didn't have the words, we didn't have the tools. We didn't have the collaboration, I think, between the lactation community and the dental field and pediatricians and ETs. And it's, it's not one specific specialty. And I think finally people are starting to have these study groups and these collaborations where we're learning from other people to get their perspective on how it affects breastfeeding. You know, you see Mm -hmm. the latch, you see the dyad. I kind of see it from a more biologic standpoint from the actual structures in the mouth. And you look to see how those structures affect breastfeeding and the pediatrician might see how it affects nutrition or overall temperament. And I think putting all those pieces together is allowing us to finally provide the quality of treatment that I think a lot of these babies have needed for, for generations that they haven't had.
0: Right. Because before it was just, oh, maybe we can't breastfeed. I'm just going to switch to formula. But I think a lot more families are intent on reaching their feeding goals than previous generations.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure on moms to breastfeed. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, society expects it. You know, I've had some women from certain communities locally where they just said they don't have the support being a bottle feeding mom. Like there's so much, Stress and pressure, and the feeling of, you know, I'm failing because something's mm-hmm. not right. Um, and I think that, you know, if you look at a couple of generations ago, breastfeeding was almost never done. You know, it was if you could afford formula, you formula feed your baby. So we missed a huge generation of kids that maybe would have had symptoms, but we kind of bypassed evolution with the bottle. And now we're seeing a lot more adults with still these restrictions that they've compensated, you know, they're. They're able to eat, they're able to survive into adulthood, which they didn't do, you know, centuries ago, but they, they're all compensating one way or another. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we start to see that the more we're starting to be aware of like, oh, sleep apnea, you know, so many people have sleep apnea and, and we're now finding that it can be related to the positioning of their tongue.
0: Right. And there are so many compensations or things and ways that it impacts us that we're not aware of because it's viewed as normal because it happens. So so many times it happens with a lot of people, but you know, common does not equal normal. Right. Right. So everyone Mm -hmm. jokes about their husband snoring, um, without even realizing like, Hey, that's actually not normal for someone to snore when they sleep because so many people do it. It's kind of like turned into this joke of like, Oh yeah, he snores. Ha ha. You can hear him a mile away. Or just
2: waking up, you know, feeling
0: unrefreshed
2: is so we're so used to that now. It's just, it's our new normal. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, for a lot of the adults that I see for tongue ties, it's it's not even, you know, their sleep gets better, but their breathing gets better. And their their whole body just feels this sense of like, I'm not being tied together. Um, and it's been, I mean, the I love the babies. The babies are kind of, you know, where I find my joy, but the adults are where I kind of find my purpose, where it's like, you're seeing, they can verbalize it. You know, the, the adults can say, I haven't been able to look over my shoulder my whole life and they stand up from the chair and they can turn their head for the first time without any pain or wow. like a seven-year-old boy came in who had had torticollis for seven years. And the minute we released his tongue tie, his shoulders relaxed and his head was straight for the first time ever. And his parents were crying and we were crying and it was just seven years. This little boy was, was just, you know, held together. And, you know, thankfully we were able to treat him at seven and not, you know, seventy but Mm -hmm. it just makes you wonder, you know, his mom was feeling like, how did they get to this point where nobody caught it? And it's because there's not enough education. You know, there's not enough training universally. Pediatricians should be trained from med school, how to, you know, diagnose and and treat ties, Mm -hmm. but they're not. And same thing with dentists. And I feel like even IBCLCs, there's not a lot of conformity, you know, there's not a lot of, agreement even in, in most of these communities as to what is a tie. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I find that most pediatricians are trained to look for tongue extension. Like if, if long as the baby can extend their tongue over their lower gums, it's not going to cause an issue, which to me, never made sense because you know, for speech and feeding, you move your tongue in all directions. It's not just sticking your tongue out. That is what all you need. You know, you need more than that. You need elevation, lateralization, all of. that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the pediatricians that I've talked to, they don't get very much breastfeeding training in their residency. They just, you know, which is unfortunate because I think they would catch a lot more. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people ask me, how common are ties? And I feel like they're both overdiagnosed and they're underdiagnosed. I think a lot of people are so hopeful that they, They can finally find the the cause of their breastfeeding problems. And they really want it to be a tongue tie so that they can treat it and hopefully move forward. But a lot of times it's not that. And other times it is a tongue tie, but it's missed and it's not treated when it could have been. So I feel like, you know, the statistics are kind of all over the place. You can see anything from 4% to 12%. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like it's not a very accurate number. Um, And I see, you know, I see a lot of people coming in where, you know they've been told by multiple providers no it's not a tongue tie no it's not a tongue tie and it is and we treat it and it resolves you know a significant amount of their problems and it's just very frustrating the lack of you know agreement and the lack of
0: you know working together mm-hmm. can we backtrack for a second can you quickly define like tongue and lip tie for those who might not know what it is sure
2: um so you know, everybody has a frenum under their tongue. A frenum is a normal part of our anatomy. It's under our lip, under our tongue, it's in our cheeks, it's in our genitalia, it's in our internal organs. A frenum's purpose is to prevent things from shifting too far out of position. Um, What makes a, a healthy, normal frenum a tie is if it restricts range of motion or if it restricts function. So if there's a band of tissue under the lip and you lift the lip and you see it, that's not a tie. That's a them, supposed to be there. If you lift the lip into a normal position that you'd want to see on the breast or on the bottle and that little band of tissue pulls back down on the lip or pulls up on the gums causing either limited range of motion or discomfort that would be a lip tie. And I feel like lip ties are often what get people to think there might be a tie because they're very visible. You can easily lift your baby's lip and a lot of people come in and say I think my baby has a lip tie and we look and it's like actually you know that lip is pretty good. But the reason that your baby's not latching is because under the tongue, there's a frenum. Mm -hmm. And if you try to lift that middle of the tongue that we know needs to lift up for proper breastfeeding motion, and it doesn't because that tie pulls back down, that's what a tongue tie is. So looking in the mirror is not the same as trying to move the tongue or move the lip uh, to see if that tie is actually restrictive. If it's not restrictive, I would leave it alone. It's not actually a tie.
0: Right. And, and you're absolutely right. Like most of the parents who come to me with concerns about ties, it's always the lip tie that's the concern. And almost every single time it's like, well, the lips okay. Or, you know, it's not that tight, but look at your baby's tongue. That's why your baby can't latch.
2: And a lot of the evidence is supporting tongue ties. There's very little evidence that suggests that a restrictive lip is, is significantly contributing to breastfeeding problems. It can, I've seen a lot of cases where the lip really does make a big difference. It's not nearly as common as the tongue.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel the same with cheek ties as well? Oh, cheek ties are,
2: they're mysterious. You know, they're, they're, so, there's, they're so, You know, just like with the lip they're supposed to be there. Um, there are very few times where I can feel a cheek tie and say, wow, that really needs to be released because what ends up happening is when the baby can't move their tongue very well, they're going to use other muscles to compensate because they have to eat. So the tongue's not gonna move very well, so they're borrowing mobility from their shoulders, from the floor of the mouth, and they're tightening their cheeks. And sometimes what we're feeling is not actually the frenum under the cheek, but it's really just a really bulky muscle that's that's tight. And so my feeling is I wanna be as conservative as I can and release what I know is part of the problem. And we can always go back. You can't unrelease a tie, but you can do a little bit, see what happens. If we know the tongue is contributing, give the baby a chance to kind of stop compensating. And if those cheeks loosen up on their own, great. You just avoided a procedure. And mm-hmm. if not, you know, give it a couple of weeks. And if you're starting to see, okay, the tongue is healing great. The tongue is getting stronger. Those cheeks are still, you know, they're still tightening their cheeks. They're still pursing their lips and it's blanching. Then. You can always go back in and do a little more, but you can't take it back.
0: Right. I love that. And that's primarily one of the reasons why I refer to you is because you are conservative. And unfortunately, in our area, there's a lot of providers that will just release to release.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, you release to release, and I'm sure they see a lot of really good results. And what the question that always remains is, you know, would they have had those exact same good results with less releasing? we'll never know. You know, I don't think there's any long-term harm that's done by releasing a lip that didn't really need it or the cheeks that don't really need it. I do see a lot of adults that have pretty significant cheek ties and there's some gum recession. So you could argue, you know, avoiding gum recession in 40 years. Mm -hmm. My feeling, you know, I would never do surgery on a baby because there might be a gap in the teeth. There might be, you know, recession A lot of parents have come to me and say you know i don't want my baby to have a gap um but let's wait and see if they do because you know there's a lot of space in those gums and their little tiny teeth and they've got a lot of room to spread out and once they have all 20 of their baby teeth most of the time that space will get smaller and gaps between baby teeth are good you want space it's when i see the babies that have all their teeth are super close together with no spacing Think about how much bigger the adult teeth are than those little tiny baby teeth. They're not going to have any room for those. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel like it is that narrow arch. You know, they don't have the space to put those teeth. So gaps are good. You
0: want gaps in baby teeth. Perfect. How would you describe, like, how do you, can you go over what a procedure looks like when you're doing it on an infant?
2: Um, So up until about 18 months, um, it's, we have the parents out of the room um, because I always feel like nobody needs to hear or see their baby in pain. Um, a lot of parents will ask if they can. I've, had, I've, I've never not regretted it. Um, the exception I make is dental professionals. If it's a dentist and they want to watch, I'll let them watch. Um, but parents can't really anticipate how they will react to their newborn baby crying. So we have parents waiting out in the front. We bring the baby back. We snuggle them for a minute or two if they smell really good, you know, (laughs) look at how cute they are. Um, And then we swaddle them and we have a special arms only swaddle. And then we take photos of the lip, the tongue, the cheeks, if we can, they're tricky to take pictures of. Um, We take pictures before, and then we have special little baby laser safety glasses. And then I either have one assistant or two, depending on how old the baby is, if we're worried about them kicking. Um, we may have a second assistant holding the legs. And so my assistant um, positions her fingers in the mouth and kind of pries the jaw open and holds the baby's mouth open. And then I have a small little tool that looks like Mickey Mouse ears. And that goes in and it lifts the tongue up. And basically, as we lift the tongue, we can see this little band of tissue pop out. Um, I use a laser called a CO2 laser. Uh, It's a light Mm -hmm. scalpel, and it doesn't actually touch the tissue at all. It just shines a little light and the energy from that light is absorbed by the water molecules in that little band of skin. And I always say it's a terrible analogy, but it's kind of like uncasing a sausage. You know, if you make a little slit and then it just kind of opens wide Um, as you're lifting the tongue and you give it a little bit of of freedom, it just kind of peels right open. So that takes about five, 10 seconds. Um, We don't generally anesthetize the little babies. I have, Anesthesia that I can use if necessary, but m- I've never seen um, a time where, you know, the babies cry just as hard, whether they're numb or not. They don't like fingers in their mouth. The parents always see before we do anything when I examine the baby, they hate it almost every single time. So I say, you know, clearly they're not a fan of fingers in the mouth. So them crying during the procedure doesn't necessarily mean they're in pain. Um, I have done this procedure on an IBCLC who wanted her tongue tie release with no anesthesia because she wanted to know what the babies were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And she was super brave. And what she said was, it just felt like a little bit of zapping, not excruciating pain, uncomfortable, yes, but not hot, not not really very painful. Um, As soon as it was done, she had very little discomfort. Um, My daughter had hers released when she was seven and I was just touching that wound. I was able to stretch it and she had no pain at all in the actual wound. Um, so we take about, you know, 10 seconds, we release the tongue, and then we take another photo afterwards. Um, and then the baby gets reunited with the mom. I think one parent did time me without telling me they were. Um, so if I take out the snuggle time, it was about two minutes, maybe two minutes and 30 seconds from the time we brought the baby back to writing with the mom. And then the mom has a private room that she can sit and nurse or bottle feed or just you know take the baby home if they want to.
0: Yeah. So now I know why some of the patients are like, oh, it took like 10 minutes. <laughs> Cause you were, you were really snuggling, snuggling some, some of baby." The house,
2: yeah, <laughs> we'll give them a heads up. Like we're gonna have a little snuggle. We'll, we'll be right back.
0: Yeah, one of the families I was talking to who had done a release with you was impressed by how fast it went. I think he said something like, you know, we handed the baby over. I went to use the bathroom. And then by the time I came back, you already back out front with the
2: baby <laughs> yeah it's we try not to prolong it both for the baby and for the parents mm-hmm. um you know we used to nickname the couch in the front in the waiting room the, the crying couch because it's emotional it's really hard mm-hmm. to hand your baby over as minor as it is you know it's still really hard for these parents and so we try to kind of not prolong it any more than we have to mm-hmm. um and it is it is really fast um and then if it's you know if we're doing the lip or doing the cheeks um, you know, we do those first, and what ends up happening is we release the cheeks, and the mouth usually just opens even wider um, because you can see how much that that band of tissue was really restricting how wide they could get their mouth, and that you know affects the latch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as far as follow-ups go, I like to see the babies within one or two weeks, if possible. Pre-COVID, we were seeing every baby; we would always book a follow-up. Now we kind of leave it at the discretion of the parents. The reason I like seeing the parents and the babies right after is because I can get a chance to kind of see how it's healing and how they're doing. And if there is a little bit of scab that that's a little tight, it's really easy to just do a quick stretch in the office, then let it heal and turn into scar tissue and need to kind of put a little bit more pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like seeing them again, and for a good snuggle too. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I know there's a lot of debate. I've seen it both in parenting groups, um, among parents who have babies who are tied and also among professionals that, you know, the best tool to use is this and the best tool to use is scissors. You know, do you have an opinion? I know that you use a laser, but as like a professional, do you have an opinion that like one tool is better than the other?
2: So yes and no. I think that I can group together laser and scissors and scalpel into one group as these are all good ways, good tools to use to get a good result if you know how to use them. The only tool that I would put in the other category that I would advise against using is electrocautery. Um, mm-hmm. That tool is just, it's a very um, uncomfortable procedure that tends to have a lot more heat. I, the babies that I've seen that have had this done in other offices and they come to see me for follow-up, there's just a lot of thermal damage under the tongue. And I just, as, as thorough as the release may have been, I find that the healing is just a little bit messier and Mm -hmm. i wonder how much the baby is really feeling that versus the laser um and when i was doing dr kaplan's course they were saying you know the diode laser which is what i used to use is a little glass tip and you touch it to a little piece of black paper and the black paper puts ink on the tip and it prevents the light from getting out so if the light can't get out of this laser what does it do it just builds up heat so it heats up to about 700 degrees and you would take that laser and I used it for about a year and a half as my sole tool for frenectomies. And it would literally melt the tissue and I got great releases. Um, but the tissue was kind of scar looking, you know, it was just kind of gnarly under there. It was clean. It wasn't bleeding like you get with, um, scissors or scalpel, but you could tell that it was just kind of gooey looking. Um, and, and I had been told for a good, you know, a year, year and a half, like you've got to switch to this light scalpel, you've got to switch to CO2. And I kept kind of hemming and hawing. And I finally, you know, asked a few colleagues, and they're like, You've got to do it. Once you switch, you'll see the difference. And I finally did it. And what I'm seeing is a lot less discomfort. The babies don't seem to cry as long after the procedure. They, by the time they're back with the parents, a lot of the times they're already done crying. They don't like fingers in right. the mouth. As soon as you pick them up, they're kind of over it. Um, the wound itself is just, it's cleaner. Like there is sometimes some bleeding and I do tell the parents, you know, be prepared to see some blood in your baby's mouth. It can be very scary looking. It's not a lot of blood, Um, but sometimes it bleeds, sometimes it doesn't. But I find that the CO2 laser is just, it's faster, it's cleaner. um, And I find a lot less, um, a lot less discomfort, a lot less nursing strikes afterwards. They seem to do really well. Um, And that, that tip is about a hundred degrees versus 700 degrees. So it is definitely a lot of, you know, a a lot less heat under that tongue. Um, But that being said, you know, scissors and scalpel are also great tools. If you're, if the person holding them knows what they're doing, they can do perfect releases with those. Mm
0: -hmm. And speaking of if the provider knows what they're doing, (laughs) there's also a lot of discussion in among professionals and in Facebook groups about which kind of provider to go see, whether that's ENT or oral surgeon or a dentist, do you, can you tell us a little bit more about that debate? So two of the providers that I have the utmost respect for, for their
2: quality, their skill are, are both ENT. Um, Dr. Gahari and Dr. Zaghi, I have learned so much from both of them. They're both ENTs on the West coast and um, they both are, are the best clinicians I've seen. And they, they're both ENTs. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't seen the same quality of release in ENTs on the, on the East Coast as I've seen from the West Coast. And that's not to say that they don't exist, um, but the cases that I'm seeing where babies are coming to me after seeing an ENT, what I'm seeing is that it's not the complete release that I'm learning when I go to Dr. Zaghi's lectures or Dr. Gehari's lectures. I'm not seeing the same diamond shape. I'm not seeing the same posterior tongue tie release, which is really that important part of the tongue that needs to elevate. Um, A lot of the babies where they're diagnosed in the hospital, they'll say, oh, they took them and they clipped it and we didn't have to do any stretches and and it's still not improving things. Um, And what they're doing is they're just releasing the anterior part of the tongue, which sometimes can help. And sometimes that's all they need. Um, But other times they're not getting that full release, but the parents aren't really told, hey, we're not going to do a full release. We're going to release the tongue tie. And so they go home saying, "Well, he already had a tongue tie release done, so it can't be that. That was already taken care of. It's it's got to be something else." So in a way, I wish that everybody had that training on how to do it, but it's a lot more invasive. You know, it's you have to do aftercare, and mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes those hospital releases, um, the parents aren't really in the frame of mind where they're ready to do these releases on their you know three hour old baby. Right. Um, so you know sometimes it's it's better to release something than nothing. But at least I wish the parents knew, hey, this may still need a little bit more work. Keep that in mind when you go home, you know, reach out to an IBCLC and, and work with them if
0: it's not still not working after doing this, but they're not told that. Right. Yeah. And I do see that all the time. And sometimes I think, okay, the hospital releases can be enough to get them home where at least for now, the baby is going to feed well enough to to at least not lose any more weight or whatnot, but once you start needing larger volumes at each feeding, or you know the reflexes aren't as strong, or the sucking reflex goes away, or sometimes it even takes like three to six months before it actually becomes a problem.
2: Yeah, I mean I saw a uh, six month old who the mom brought him in for a lip tie evaluation, um, and she said, "Well, you already had his tongue tie released in the hospital, and, and so his tongue is not the issue." and he was significantly tied, but he was actually doing okay. Like, and and you know, just like with the, the you know, with a newborn, if it's if it's not affecting function, it does not need a release. And so, you know, I was grateful to see that case where I could see a completely, you know, half done release was perfectly fine for this baby. He was thriving. Um, the mom was worried about a gap between the teeth, which ended up not being an issue either. But it was nice to kind of see that, that some of these babies that that don't have the breastfeeding problem, they did benefit from that hospital release. So it's not always a bad thing to get it done in the hospital, as long as you know that, you know, it may not be everything. It may just be enough to get you through those first few weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you, how would a parent or a family know like which provider is, you know, a quote unquote good provider to go to? My
2: feeling is, you know, if the issue is the breastfeeding, they need to go to a good IBCLC. That's the first step because I'm not an IVCLC. I can't assess breastfeeding function. That's your job. So I think you know having a diagnosis from somebody who knows what to look for to determine is function affected is step one. And based on what you see during your, I mean, you guys spend like three, four, five hours with these these parents, you know, or longer. I'm sure. So you know, you're the one that can assess. Is it a functional deficit? Is there something going on? In, and then you kind of then reach out to me and say, I think. You know, can you take a look at the tongue? Because this is what I'm seeing. And I think we work together so well because we each have a piece of that puzzle to say, okay, you're looking at the function. I'm looking at the anatomy. And, and let's see how those pieces, you know, are working either with each other or against each other. Um, so I think starting with, you know, figuring out what exactly seems to be wrong. Is it that the baby's turning his head and it's not a nursing problem at all, but it's, you know, he can't put his head straight or he's really tense and tight. In that case, I would probably go to somebody, you know, like a PT or OT to kind of address those issues. And then it may still be a tongue tie, but going to the specialist who knows what to look for as far as what those functional deficits are is always the first step before you rush to release something. Um, So I really do rely on a good diagnosis from somebody who, you know, who can really thoroughly evaluate the baby.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's very rarely like just the ties, right? There's usually something that comes along with the ties, sometimes caused by the ties itself, sometimes not. But like if you do have torticollis and ties, I don't typically recommend releasing until the torticollis is at least being worked on right. um, or high palates. I see a lot of high palates now that cause trouble for both breast and bottle.
2: And I'm Mm. seeing a lot of, you know, tension just through the floor of the mouth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of muscles down there. And if those muscles are really tight, you know, if the baby has torticollis and they're tipping, or if they were positioned in utero a certain way, and they basically grew with their head kinked to one side, they're going to have tighter muscles on one side. And so that can very often mimic a tongue tie and parents, you know, it's easy to see the tongue. It's very hard to kind of feel those muscles in the floor of the mouth. And so Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of cases where they come in and the symptoms really do look like a tongue tie, but that's where a really good close look in the mouth is so important because what I can do is to say, you know, let's work on loosening up the floor of the mouth. Either the parents do it themselves at home with just some massage or they go see another specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, but, a lot of the times they never come back because all they needed was just to, you know, get out some of those kinks that, that the baby had, um, which is great. So yeah,
0: and I think it's that's not the always a
2: tongue tie. Yeah,
0: right. And that's why I think collaborative care is so, so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I do,
2: you know, we tell our patients when they call that if the parents aren't already working with an IBCLC, there's a very good chance. I'm still happy to see them but if I feel like they need more support before we do anything surgical, they'll have to come back once they have somebody that they can work with who can really give that diagnosis, you know. And um, and that way I know, it. you know, I always say um, I'm the mechanic, I'm not the driver's ed teacher. I can mm-hmm. fix the car, I can't help you drive it. So we need to make sure that we have all the different elements of getting a successful, you know, breastfeeding or bottle feeding relationship. Um, it's so important to have that before you do any releases because the last thing you want is to release a baby and then have them not know how to latch. And the mom is panicking because the baby was, you know, doing fine. And now we release the tongue and it's because the latch, you know, they needed help with latching mm-hmm. and that's, you know, something that could have been avoided.
0: Right. Right. Cause you don't want to just send the families off like into the wind either. Like, okay, now the tie is released by good luck. Because, you know, as we know that it's kind of the first step, it's not the end story. in in most cases where now you, you give the baby ability to move their tongue fully, but they still don't know how. They don't know what they're doing with their tongue. Now that's all new movements,
2: right? Like if you had an ACL repair, you're not going to go run a marathon the next day. You got to start with baby steps. You know, you're going to do PT. You're going to have to get those muscles working and, and get the endurance that you need to to walk and then to run. Um, So it's the same thing with the tongue. You know, you need to let the tongue start moving. This is the first time this tongue has been able to move fully, not just, you know, in the however many weeks since the baby was born, but in utero, they were practicing sucking with all the wrong muscles. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I try to tell parents, it can be weeks, if not months, before you really hit your stride, before that tongue really starts Working. And sometimes some of the symptoms are immediate. You know, the nipple pain is better, or they're not gulping and they're not clicking, or their endurance is better. But a lot of those things, you need to just be patient. And, you know, with good exercise and good suck training, they will get there, you know, if the issue was the tie. And if they don't, then we kind of go back a little bit and see, okay, what else could be contributing here? Um, So it's not always the be all and end all. I think it's only one tool in, in our toolbox, but it can be a pretty helpful one when it's done at the right time.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And then I, and I did not make this up myself, but the analogy I use, um, I can't remember where I heard it from is, you know, if you were to train to run for a marathon for eight months with your shoes tied together by their shoelaces, and then someone came in and tied them, theoretically you could run better, but you'd probably fall flat on your face because you would have no idea how to, that's not how you train to do it. And you'd exactly. have to retrain yourself basically. And that will take some time. Yeah, exactly. And in my experience, you know, if you don't address the other things that come along with ties, or at least start to address them before the release, it's going to take even more time.
2: Yeah. And I think it can do more damage, honestly, if, if a baby is not ready for release, if they're, if they have a lot of tension or they have some kind of suck dysfunction or, you know, their nervous system is in red alert because they're so tight, you can do more harm than good trying to fix this tongue tie when they just need it to be optimized before you do any kind of surgery and that, you know, it may be PT, it may be the chiropractor, maybe, you know, craniosacral or an osteopath, somebody else can kind of help get a lot of this tension starting to kind of loosen up before we just jump in and, and start releasing things. Um, they need to have the reflexes there. They need to have the system, you know, knowing what to do and what is what's right and what's wrong as far as sucking goes before we just kind of like take off the training wheels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And I say that to parents all the time. Like, if especially the last part you mentioned, the babies have to be regulated and calm too. So, if you have a baby that's absolutely miserable from reflux and crying all day, you need to kind of treat those symptoms and make the baby more comfortable. Because if we put that baby through release, that's the baby that will absolutely flip out and refuse to eat for like 48 hours. Yep. Exactly. And I think
2: the mom too, you know, I think the parents also need to take a step back. And even if I see a baby where I think the baby's ready for a release, The mom isn't always ready for a release. And I feel like they, I can see when I go over some of these exercises, they, they shut down like, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. And so, you know, I can practice with them only so much. They need to be home with their baby practicing before we do anything that, you know, so they can see the baby doesn't like the stretches period. You know, they are going to hate this. They will not remember this but they will pick up on the mom's stress and the mom crying. And I've had some moms even doing the practice stretches start to cry. And it's very difficult to do. And so I'll say, you know what? We can, we can put this off a week. You know, you'll, your baby's gaining weight. You're, they're doing okay. They need you to be able to do this for them too. So let's mm-hmm. practice this, go home. And if you feel like you cannot do the post-care exercises, let's, you know, figure something else out that we can do because you're not going to get the benefit that I want you to get if you're not going to do the post-op care that really is what we need to get a good outcome.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know that the post-op care can differ according to the provider, but in general, what does it look like? I mean,
2: it even differs
0: according to like
2: what year you ask me, because every time I take a (laughs) tongue tie course, it's like, well, now we say this, you know, we know that it takes four hours roughly for scar tissue to start to form. So it makes sense that every four hours you get under the tongue and you put a little bit of tension along that wound so that as that scab is turning into a scar, the, the more you stretch it, the stretchier it'll be. And the stretchier this new scar, the more function the tongue will have. So it makes sense that, you know, four hours, every four hours you go under the tongue and, and you just put a little lift on it. And I took a course less than a year ago and they said, well, now we say three times a day. And the reason for that is that, you know, three good stretches are better than six bad ones and parents aren't doing them at all because it's just overwhelming to do this to your baby six times a day. And I even saw in some of the second time parents where I saw them, you know, three years ago and now I'm saying, oh, well, now you only have to do it three times a day. Like, oh, thank God, because that was the worst thing was, you know, your baby finally falls asleep and it's like, oh, you know, they're due for a stretch and they have to wake up their baby. So three times a day, I have not seen a significant change in how much tension is under the tongue as it's healing, switching from six times to to three. I do tell parents more is always better. If you can get under there and the baby tolerates it, you don't, you know, start to cry, um, do it more, you know, and then it's really quality over quantity. We've got to make sure, and as, as hard as it is, we've got to make sure that they're, they're really lifting the part of the tongue that needs to lift. I always say it's, it's a very small physical ask, a very big emotional ask. It's very hard to hurt your baby. And, you know, when my daughter had this done, like I said, she was seven, so she could verbalize it. And she would complain about, you know, the color of the lunchbox I picked out for her, but she didn't even complain about the tongue tie release. Like she tolerated it had no pain, you know, her tongue was tired that night, the whole muscle was tired, but the actual wound itself was not very painful to stretch. It was annoying, but she said it did not really hurt very much. Staying ahead of it is really the trick. So if parents go under there and they see like, oh, it's really, really sealed back up pretty quickly. then that's a baby that might need more frequent stretches. But, you know, in general, I, ta- I say about, you know, three times a day now and don't wait mm-hmm. to stretch. It's kind of the latest Um, because you do need to heal. And I feel like if a baby's in deep sleep, and they're getting restful healing sleep, and then you rouse them to stretch their tongue, they're not healing. Um, So, you know, I think it's important to kind of weigh both sides of it and how many is necessary. And, you know, where's that line, and that line differs from baby to baby, we've seen a few recently that that they do kind of have these adhesions, and the, the tongue starts to stick together more than another baby. And it's, you know, is it that the parents aren't stretching deep enough? Is it that the baby just has this they're super healers, you know, and so we have to kind of take it one case at a time and figure out what is best um, to do that. And, you know, as you know, sometimes we go in and they come back to see me or they come back to see you and lift the tongue and we pop it open. And I feel Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm happy to do it. It's, it's hard to, you know, to have parents witness that, but I feel like sometimes it's easier for us to do it than to make the parents do it to their own baby, but just kind of making sure, you know, that, that we get a good outcome and we get as flexible as we can. And there's always going to be scar tissue. It's inevitable. You make a wound, you're going to have scarring, but the more flexibility it has, the better the function will be.
0: Mm -hmm. And hopefully the family is working with someone like a lactation consultant or SLP or whoever that's also giving them like suck training exercises to do to keep that tongue moving too, without necessarily stretching it.
2: Yes. That's a very big reason of why I always want them to be working with an Mm (laughs) IBCLC.
0: And then what do you see in the adults who are released? Oh man, it's,
2: it really varies um, because the symptom, I mean, like the way people compensate can be so different. So my very first adult um, was a guy who started to slur his speech. Um, He was, you know, giving sermons and never had speech problems. And he started to, you know, give these longer sermons. And all of a sudden he was like, his words were just kind of slushy and slurring And he went to a speech therapist who caught the tongue tie. And so she worked with him and adults are a little bit different because you don't just see them and release them on site. They have to do, you know, a few weeks, if not a few months of prep work to get those muscles working and to get the fascia kind of moving. And then you release them. So they've done their homework leading up to it. And because they did that, they see even bigger changes because they're so primed for this release to be done that they feel the effects, their shoulders relax, their arms get heavier, their necks can move their breathing deeper. Um, so this guy within, you know, a couple of days, you know, started to see his speech getting clearer. Um, I was at a lecture not that long ago and a woman had just had her tongue tie released that morning and everybody at this dinner table was like kind of grilling her, you know, like, what are you, what are you feeling? How does it feel? And she said she had called her husband to tell him how it went. And he said over the phone, he's never heard her speak so clearly in his life like she, and she said it was easier to talk and and even though she was sore it was easier to make the sounds and so you know i always tell the baby parents you know there's always going to be compensation but you know we never really know how much we're compensating until we don't do it anymore exactly. um i had a 17 month old a couple months ago who I saw the newborn sister. And then as the mom was looking at pictures, she was like, you know, that tongue was just like my toddler's tongue. And we released him and he was a grumpy sleeper. He would wake up, you know, tired and cranky because he wasn't getting restful sleep. And I could talk for another hour about the effect on sleep with these tongue ties. Yeah. But they brought him in and it turns out he couldn't say certain speech sounds. The number one was he couldn't say his Gs. So we released the tongue tie and she sent me a text maybe three, four hours later. They took him to the farm as soon as he woke up because he was so happy. Took him to see his favorite animal and he just started saying, piggy, piggy. And that was the first time he'd ever made the guh sound because he couldn't get his tongue to lift to where he needed it to. And I always felt, you know, he would have figured it out. He would have figured out how do I make the guh sound? But at 17 months, you know, he was able to do it naturally instead of having to learn how to compensate. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen other people just, you know, they just, their headaches have gone away. Their jaw tension goes away. Um, A lot of people that have had orthodontic relapse, they had their teeth nice and straight. And then they started to get crooked again because the tongue was just pulling. So we can release the tongue tie and then, you know, get them back nice and straight and they stay that way. So it really does vary. I had another patient who he would always have to chew his food for a long time. Otherwise he would Mm -hmm. choke. And you know, he'd feel like you know things like pasta or green beans would always get stuck in his throat because he couldn't transfer the food from the front to the back. He was using his tongue to throw the food down his throat, and he was able to
0: eat just more effectively. You know, pretty soon after the release was done. That's amazing. And there's that's so why many... I love the adults too. Yeah, and even like the older kids because there's so many things that we don't think about. Like being a little kid and being the only one in your friend group that can't lick your ice cream cone. You have to like face plant it into your mouth. Yeah. My husband has,
2: he was, uh, he was tongue tied as a kid and they used to chant death to the flat tongues and they would make him cry because he would, couldn't roll his tongue into a little, you know, he couldn't roll his R's. He couldn't roll his tongue. Um, so that one hit close to home, but yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's, I had a little, he was probably 12 or 13 tied to the tip of his tongue. Nobody ever caught it like shocking that they never caught it. And as soon as we released his tongue, he just starts sticking his tongue under his mom. And he's like screaming, like, mom, look, and Aww. he just kept sticking it out. And he was so excited just to stick his tongue out, which yeah. we just take for granted, you know? Right. So, and and I'm, I still don't know how that was missed, that little boy, just severe, mm-hmm. severe tongue tie. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I've had stories, I've heard stories, too, of people who were made fun of for being like a bad kisser in high school and college. Because you can't, if you can't move your tongue and you're trying to kiss someone, um, you end up like just kind yeah. of drooling all over yourself. Yeah, and there was then, a woman
2: in one of my groups. She said that she was on a first date with her now husband and the whole date long, she was kind of like trying to figure out like, is that a tongue tie? Is that? And then, then he kissed her. She's like, yep, that's a tongue
0: tie. <laughs> but again, like we don't think about these things because it's never, the connection is never made. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And then once the parents start seeing, you know, it's, I would say at least 50% of the time, the parents are sitting there and the wife turns to them like, that's what you have. That's you. Do. Your child oh, yes. does that. You snore, yes. you mouth breathe. Like I, I had a dad the other day, he had a mask on, but I could tell he was a mouth breather. Cause they just kept hearing like, yeah, like through his mask. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about, you know, airway and high palates and mouth breathing and the shape of the face. And I'm like looking at this dad, like I'm so sorry. I'm like really describing you and you're sitting right in front of me. I'm so sorry. But Mm. he had every symptom.
0: Yeah. And I would say that happens a lot, like 80% of the time too, where it's either one parent says to the other, like, oh, that's you. Or it's the older sibling. Sometimes the grandmother comes
2: with the mom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the grandmother sitting there and like, oh my God, <laughs> my kids were tongue-tied 40 years ago mm-hmm. and I'm only finding out now. And nobody, nobody knew, nobody had words for the diagnosis. And, you know, it's always been there, you know, tongue ties have always been around. It's not a new tension under the tongue. It's just mm-hmm. that we have, we're aware of it, you know? Right. Um. So, you know, I think it's, it's hard sometimes to realize that you struggled for so long that you know you it's, it's hard not to be mad that right. how is this missed you know why didn't anybody tell me we didn't know you know we knew something wasn't right but we just didn't know what is i sometimes um, compare it to you know autism because we have the diagnosis now that we didn't have 40 years ago mm-hmm. there were still autistic kids in our classes 40 years ago but we just didn't have the language we didn't have the awareness um and i think now that we're more familiar with it, we can address it and we can help these kids that they were just kind of, you know, pushed to other classes, you know, when they were 40 years ago.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or even 11 years ago when my youngest was born, he's tied and I was screaming into a pillow every time I lashed him on and nobody, I mean, I'm sure the diagnosis was there by that point, but no one was talking about tongue ties 11 Mine years was ago tied
2: 11 years ago too yeah nope like- I got a call I was just crying I was like I think my I was bleeding I was just like dreading the feed they were like yeah. hour-long feeds you finally get this baby off who just passed out you know two minutes into the V because she's just exhausted from compensating barely gets any milk and then the pediatrician is like, just give her a bottle of formula. Mm-hmm. And then now you have the hormonal side of it of like, well, why can't I just feed my baby? This is supposed to be so natural. And right. what, what's wrong with me that I can't do this basic thing that everybody makes seem so easy. Right. And it's not always easy. Um, I wish I had someone like you 11 years ago to, to look in the baby's mouth. Cause nobody did. We went to mm-hmm. lactation consultants, nobody caught it. And you know, now she's 11 and, and is compensating. And she, and braces and headgear and everything when she was in second grade because you know we had to fix all the damage that the tongue tie did
0: yeah and I went through the same thing I have a tie and I went and I did the braces and the head brace and the permanent retainer because if it comes off my my teeth start to shift (laughs) so I have to keep it in there for
2: life
0: yay what if you just release your tongue tie and it keeps (laughs) up the retainer I know I've been never to have this conversation with you (laughs) I've
2: been watching your tongue this whole time too I'm like (laughs) Every time I make a video, I'm like, I can see it. I can see it when I'm talking. I can oh, see this it. is ruined. Tongue ties have ruined TV for me. Like Game of Thrones finale, everybody's all mm. like looking at this film. like, oh my god, Daenerys has a tongue tie. Yeah, and it just like that was all I could focus on that whole finale of Game of Thrones.
0: Right, Paul Rudd
2: of, also has a tongue tie.
0: I'm I'm kind of glad that I didn't know that I didn't know about it until after I was done having babies because I feel like if I had a baby now, I would be like, who the hell cares if it's boy or girl? Just tell me if it's tongue tie. Because it's hard and it's, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for families when different providers that they're working with are saying different things and you don't know who to trust and you don't know who to believe. And in, like in my case, you know, my son was a horrible feeder, but I also had massive oversupply. So he gained. He was miserable and he screamed yeah. all the time and I was out of my mind, but the pediatrician was like, well, he's gaining weight. So you're doing well. He's gaining weight. You're doing well. I hate that. I think that's so dismissive. I and mean, babies are it- cattle. Right. And it's still, you know, 11 years later, I'm still hearing parents say, well, you know, I feel like something is wrong. He cries all the time. He clicks at the breast, but the pediatrician says he's gaining weight. And I so think the worst fine. thing the pediatrician
2: can do is to tell the parents, don't go see a dentist. Don't go do that. Right. Like, because the parents are trusting, like they don't want to get up on the wrong foot. Right. Um, so they're, they're kind of torn between like, I, my gut is telling me this isn't right, but you're supposed to be the person that's helping my kid grow. And we do see, you know, I always say there's three waves that I see. One is like, Very early on the first, you know, two, three weeks where the latch is just non-existent. The mom's losing pieces of nipple with every feed. She's Mm -hmm. crying. That's kind of wave one where the baby has a significant tie. Mom's in agony. Wave two is kind of that, that group where the babies are gaining weight. Mom's got a good supply. It's masking a lot of the symptoms. Very often the mom is massaging her breast while she's feeding to kind of help Mm -hmm. shuttle that milk along. And the baby's gaining weight and, and the pediatrician's happy. And yep, they're colicky and they're refluxy and they're gassy and their, you know, hands are fisted, but they're gaining weight. I hate and tiny then they time time.
0: They can't, they can't sleep yeah, well, Yeah, they're, they're up.
2: Yeah. But they're gaining and they're it's snorting they're when they cry, but they're gaining. And then they hit, you know, the two, three, four month mark where they need more milk. And the mom has not been getting the suction that's necessary to keep the milk supply up. And so you've got a bigger baby who needs more milk and it's not there. So now those babies that were once the ones falling asleep at the breast are now pulling off and getting frustrated mm-hmm. and now they're plateauing. And now the pediatrician is like, okay, maybe you should go and see a lactation consultant because maybe there's something else going on. And now right. you've, you're four months in and it's a lot harder to get a four month old to relearn how to suck than a four week old. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last wave I see are the ones that still got through that, that low supply, but now the baby has teeth and they were biting all along with gums. And now you add two little tiny razor blades in there. And now the moms are like, oh, they're biting. Well, yeah, they were biting six months ago. You just toughened it out and now they're biting and it hurts because they're actually like digging their little teeth into you. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of that next wave is like six to nine month olds. Yeah. Um, but the tongue was tied all along. It's just the, the symptoms were
0: very easily missed. And I see that with bottle fed babies too, because at first this, you know, the sucking reflex kind of takes over everything and they will come up with some pretty creative compensations to, to suck on the bottle. And then once that goes away, once that sucking reflex goes away, it's like all of a sudden the baby just really struggles to take a bottle. And a lot of times when I explain this to families, they're like, well, it can't be that he's tongue tied because he took a bottle for the first month of his life to fine." like, yeah, yeah because... it's a much
2: different, yes. much different position, you know, and, yeah. and they're, and what they're doing is they're working different muscles. And so now they've got these big cheeks and these big mm-hmm. buccinators that are changing the way they suck. Mm-hmm. And now they're trying to do a breastfeeding motion when they only have bottle feeding skills. And it's, it's like putting, you know, a square peg into a round hole. It's just, mm-hmm. you don't have the musculature that you needed to be developing all along to do it. And it's doable. Mm-hmm. You know, I have seen babies that struggled at the breast for months and they got there and others where it's just not, not going to happen. And it's, it's frustrating either way. It's frustrating because you missed a very critical time
0: to, to get those babies latching. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's why it's so important that we have providers like you helping these families and guiding them. And you too. (laughs) Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Can you tell us where people can find you if they want to connect with you or learn more about you?
2: Yeah, So my office is in Wellesley. We're right off 128. Um, our website is BostonTongueTie.com. Um, We never charge for consultations up to 18 months. So if anybody even just wants a second opinion, they just want me to look, you know, I'm happy. We always set aside a whole hour because, um, you know, I feel like it's my job to educate and to inform and then to diagnose. And it's, it's up to the parents to take that information and decide what is best for their baby. And so there's never any pressure. Parents never need to decide on the spot to treat. Mm-hmm. If they want to, we can set aside time to do that. But if they just want to come for information, that is totally fine with me. Um, and so I would say, you know, right now we're having people fill out an intake form on the website. And once that form is filled out, we can give them a call and get them in. Um, and, you know, that's probably the easiest way is just to fill out the form
0: on tie.com. I love it, especially because new parents are often too busy to call or overwhelmed to call. So, and as a late millennial, yeah. if I have to call you to book an appointment, I'm not calling. I'm going to find you fax else if you want. I had a feeling you're going to bring up the facts. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I think it's such an important topic, and I'm glad that we're working to get that information out there. Thanks for having me. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.